episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Demiso Josie alongside Spencer's here. Spencer's back in the building. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. The first thing that you guys like is keeping white people we like pettiness. We bring in the petty back. The year of the petty. The year of the petty. Um, I feel like we just did this. Yeah. <laughs> I think we did just do this. Um, just some reflections on the mental health ep- episode. What were your thoughts about that uh, episode that we just did? I think that we definitely opened up some minds. And more importantly, we opened up some discussion topics for parents to have with their kids. Mm. Communication is always going to be the key. Even when you're going through therapy, one of the things that they really encourages for you to talk and you have to be transparent as much as possible. Mm. That's really the only way that we can start breaking down some of these these issues that we have. We have to have open dialogue and discussions and come up with some real solutions. Yeah, definitely. Communication is the key. And like, like we said on the podcast, make sure you listen to your children because um, they're, they're telling you stuff. They may not be Absolutely. telling you specifically, but you know, the, the their behaviors and things are telling you they're going to let you know what's going on. Absolutely. So sure behaviors are a form of communication. So yep. if you see them doing something, they're trying to communicate something to you. Yep, yep, yep. So in this particular podcast, I have some very, very special people in the building. Um, as again, as you guys know, I wrote a book called Life Music, and it's about my life, um, at least the way I saw it. Um, some of the things in there. Um, you know, they're the truth as far as I can see. I'm not saying that what I did was right and a lot of things I did was wrong, um, but it was a learning process for me um, to get that out there. And it was very therapeutic for me to, to release a lot of the stuff that's in the book. Um, so that to me is like phase one. Phase two now is what we're doing now with the podcast. As you guys heard before, I had my dad on the podcast and we kind of went through the book so I can understand his perspective on some things, even though we already had those conversations off air, plenty of them. But that particular podcast was just about rebuilding relationships and, and, and learning to forgive and forget certain things. Um, the scary part for me was I was felt like I was interviewing myself um, and stories that he told and things. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I did and, and things and vice versa for him. So um, I thank you, Dad, for being on the podcast. I know it was therapeutic for you, um, but I'm also going through the process of having discussions with my wife about some of the stuff that's in the book and um, other things and other people. Um, so this is just a healing process for me. Um, but I wanted to get to a point um, to have this discussion with my mother, who's here in the building. Let's make some noise for Miss Alice oh, Josie. Yes, welcome. How you doing, Mom? Thank you, thank you. I'm enjoying my five days off from retail. Oh my goodness. Wow. How you get five days off of retail? Because I deserved it. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, you make your own schedule? No. You just take off and just feel like... No, they so gave press. me five days off. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> you gave, did you give them a look? Because I don't know if it's part of the <laughs> We're going to get to that look in a minute okay. That look is vicious But uh, we also have a, a, I would like, personally like to call my second mother In the building, Miss Carter I'm going to make some noise for Miss okay. Carter Welcome, welcome, welcome. 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 How you doing today? I'm doing excellent and I am so enthused About being with you mm. and Your mother here today uh, Talking about uh, the neighborhood mm. The ad The ad, the ad. Mm. The ad. So, yes. Okay, Miss Carter, I'm, I'm petty So you can't leave me out we also have in the building somebody that's really, really special uh, to me, even though I didn't have him in, as a teacher. Um, he taught me so much in life uh, on the basketball court and off the basketball court. So let's make some noise. So, Mr. Wayne King, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. But I was hoping just to be a fly on the wall. No, we ain't. See how... 
these ladies got it done. Miss <laughs> Carter and your mom, they're just mm. really unbelievable. Now, we're not going to let you be a fly on the wall because you played an important part in this, yes, this, this journey, too. Yeah, so absolutely. we definitely need to have you on um, as well. So, um, Kareem, I know that we kind of our neighborhoods were different, but similar in the same way. So I know that you had what, we, what I like to call the Miss Johnson of the neighborhood, the person okay. that you know knew everybody in the neighborhood. Who was that for you guys? That did you have a Miss Johnson in the neighborhood that you Not, well, that kind of ran the neighborhood? Ran the neighborhood. So in, in my neighborhood, there was about forty families that lived on one city block. Mm. So there wasn't like one particular person. Um, because again, my mom was the one that made sure that the house stayed in order. So I never knew who that person was that would say dropping doms on me and things that I was doing. Because <laughs> um, it seemed as though that at the time, by the time my mom came home, we didn't have a car. So by the time she walked through the neighborhood, she knew everything I did from the hour. Mm. Mm. So mm. it does take a village, but I didn't appreciate it that. <laughs> Can you at least tell me <laughs> before? So I'm not taken by surprise. Like, okay, now this is what you did at 3.30, at 4 o'clock. Of course, so tell mm. me why. So um, it wasn't just one particular person, but there was pretty much um, all the women in the community that would definitely share information with each other. Mm. Gotcha. Bad news will beat you home. Mm. <laughs> Bad news gets you a beat. <laughs> <laughs> Bad beat. Twice. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I wanted to get into your initial responses or impression of the book. All three of you have read the book, um, and I'm sure you've got three different perspectives and takeaways from it. So whoever wants to jump in, just your initial interpretation or impression of, of the book. Um, you can be honest. I'm not looking for you know accolades or anything. You tell me it was terrible. It was terrible, but it was great. You know, appreciate that, too. So I'm, I'll start with you, Mom. Of course. I was apprehensive about reading the book. Um, because I, I knew what we went through mm. on the Ave, whether it was Jackson or First Avenue. Um, and I didn't want to relive that rawness. Mm. And initially, I picked it up. I put it down. I leafed through it. I perused it. And then on my first day off with nothing else press, pressuring me to get done, I started reading it. Um, there are things in there that I could question, but as you said, it's your perspective. Mm -hmm. I, I'm very proud of the fact that you wrote the book. Mm -hmm. I, and of course, I'm proud of all three of my sons and you especially because, you know, I've always said that you had career ADHD. So <laughs> this is just another one of those avenues um, that you have picked up. And I'm, I'm very proud of you for doing the book. Um, and as you said, it's a healing process for you. And also, um, I got to thinking last night, let me start writing some words down to start my own book. Oh, no, nobody wants to hear my story. No, way not. But I, I'm putting my hands up in the air. I know you can't see it because, to be honest with you, there's people that I left out the book and didn't explore that much because I wanted that to happen. And you were obviously, you were in the book, but I didn't dig into to my relationship because I wanted you to be able to tell. My brothers are not really in the book because I want them to, mm -hmm. to tell their story. So to really understand what I went through and what we went through, you got to read everyone's story um, and, and put that in there. Even my wife, that is, I mean, there's, she's in there a big part of it because, right. I mean, we've been together since I, we were 13 years old. So it was kind of impossible to leave that out. And some of the things that I've learned and 
done involved her, but I didn't even tell her story. You know what I mean? So, and I don't know if she's going to write it, but I'm so glad that you said that. I, I hope that that happens, um, that you get to write your perspective um, for yourself. I mean, like I said, for me, I, can, I can't express how liberating it feels to just be like, all right, I regurgitated this thing in this out. I can care less how many people bought it and whatever, but if someone learns something from it, that's great. But for me, it was just like, all right, it's it's done. It's now, I really feel at peace with that, that process, but um, I encourage you. I hope that that happens. We'll the, see. The Geraldine sagas. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Carter, your impressions of the book? Oh, uh, Misa, I I really love the book. Um, it was uh, invigorating to read or to see how you, as a boy, and even though I didn't know the background, mm. most of the stuff that's in the book I didn't know, but I know when you, you and your brothers came to my house that you felt comfortable. Mm. I had a house full of boys. Mm-hmm. My house was the place to be. Mm-hmm. And when I, after I read your book and I saw what you went through, mm-hmm. now I, I, I visualize back then you and your brothers coming to my house. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen that now. Mm-hmm. And now I know why. Mm-hmm. Not, not because, you know, you want to come visit and play with the boys or right. about my sons or whatever. But it was more than that. Right. And that's what I learned in that book. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel good to be a part of that now because I didn't know I was a part of that mm, then. Right, right. That whole time, I mean, and I, and I, I think I explored it in the book. It was like, it was our normal. Like, mm. you know what I'm saying? So it, the saddest, looking back at it now, it was just like, it was normal. Like, that's just what people do. And I know, Mr. Ken, I'll get to you in a second. I know we had a conversation. Like, you was like, I had no idea. Most people had, had no idea because it was, that's just what, we thought everybody was in the same boat and everybody was kind of doing the same thing. So it was kind of normal. And just to have, you know, your house and, 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 and other people to go to was just like, you know, a release for us. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have to think about it. You know what I mean, I actually, you know, slept at night when I was over there and, and I didn't have to worry about, you know, my uncle coming in and doing whatever. So it was just, it was that, that release and it was just that normal. Um, and th- I'm in a position now it's kind of weird because as I kind of feel uncomfortable now in my life. And I mean that by saying I knew how to maneuver in that mess that I grew up in. This is like foreign land mm-hmm. to me. Like, I don't really know how to, to, to do this, you know, right. <laughs> right now. So I'm kind of just navigating through it. And I'm thankful for it. But and it's almost like that, you know, I, that again, that, that was my normal. So, um, Mr. King, your impressions of, of the book? I was moved. Um, uh, it captured me right away. As I told you before, um, uh, I looked at myself and I and I said, uh, "How? I mean, not only did I not read it from you, I didn't read it from either of your brothers. Mm-hmm. What was going on? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so it made me think more. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get this out there without using I and me mm-hmm. because I use those words too often. But I looked at it and said, like you know." Uh, I should have, I should have been more alert. I should have seen more. Really like that. I thought it was very uh, interesting how you uh, transcended and went into your college career mm-hmm. and uh, your music background. Uh, and all all along uh, tying in Rebecca. Mm-hmm. I thought yes. I thought that was yeah. I, I mean yes, it really was. Uh, can you say that again? Because I don't know if my wife really thinks that this is a love story. So I need her to hear it. 
and then uh, now to see uh, your beautiful daughters, mm. uh, uh, I'm just amazed, mm. just totally am- moved and amazed. Thank you. I'm, we're gonna I'm gonna dive into your role a little bit later when we get to the teachers' lounge, but um, there's a really really important lesson that I learned from you and that I, I teach my teachers, or I'm trying to teach my teachers about you, and I'll get to that um, a little bit later. I want to dig into Stinger Ave, right? Uh, I was born in the 70s, so my, my picture is, and I've seen pictures of you buying with your Angela Davis hat, afro, um, you know what I mean, and, and things of that nature, and I just picture that, um, that I don't know, Shaq comes in my brain when oh, we talk about oh, <laughs> in the 70s. So I, I know... We had family there, and I remember you guys were building your house there. And so I'll start with you. Like, what was your impression of the ad when you first moved in and decided? To, like, why did you even decide to build a house there? Well, I'm from the other side of Glassboro, mm. so and we were that area was called the woods. So mm. I'm used to being in the woods, mm. not being around people. I don't need no neighbors or nothing like that. Don't <laughs> mind the bugs and the bees and the mm-hmm. snakes and the trees. <laughs> so I found this little. I shopped around, mm. and then I found this little uh, corner. Right there with just trees on it. Mm. And they had a house that was a little distance away. If I needed help, I could run and go, you know, get mm. help. It was an abandoned house. And then family was right down mm. the street. The rights were right down the street. So it was just a perfect corner. Mm. corner. I went to the court, boarded off the township for a thousand bucks, and wow. I had a house. Wow. Can you buy something for a thousand bucks today? For the township. Thousand dollars. Maybe a watch. A watch. <laughs> but it was just perfect. It wasn't too far out the way because I'm a single mother right. with two kids. You know, the main street, Stanger Avenue was right there. Mm. Um, it was just perfect. Mm. Mm. So, Mom, describe the Stanger Avenue back in, in the 70s. Can I go back further than that? Oh, yeah. I grew up in the 50s where schools were still segregated. Mm. And the school that I attended was on Stanger Avenue. It had outside bathrooms. And being the type of person that I've become and was then, I, I'm keeping it clean. I know exactly where you go, but go ahead. <laughs> I would run home to go to the bathroom because I was not using an outhouse. Back then, our doors weren't locked, so it was quite easy. You know, I should have ran track in high school because I really was a very fast runner and I would make it back without the teacher sending somebody to look for me. As time went on and um, we integrated to Aura, the lawn school was still standing on Stanger Avenue and mysteriously a homeless person, so they said, was living in there and um, set it on fire. Now, that's not the story my father tells, but that's the story we were told at the Aura School. I was very proud to find out that my sons got the opportunity to play basketball at the NX, mm. which is on Stanger Avenue. What's, what's the NX? So the NX was a playground, right? NX, okay. NX. So, NX. But I wouldn't even call it a playground. It was just like a clear field. And at the time, they just put down um, like concrete and maybe two basketball hoops. Mm-hmm. So we would go out there. And when I say we played basketball, we played basketball. Mm-hmm. Shirts and skin. Talking about shoveling <laughs> snow off the court, play basketball. And and then you saw, Kareem, you heard my speech the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about our friends. Um, we played 
not only as an outlet, but we supported each other in everything that we did. So, for example, Demetrius was the one that we knew that was going to go to, you know, the NBA or whatever. Yeah. So it was like in order to make you the best you you can be, we're going to play every single day so that you can you can live your dream. I mean, we played wiffle ball in that field. We did everything. We was just outside all day, all day. until the street yeah. light came on. That's right. And that's how, when your grandma called. <laughs> how, how many kids are you talking about on the court? How many of us? I'm going to say anywhere between 12, but 12 to 15. But yeah, I realized that the annex also was the place. If you had any basketball ability, that's the place you had to come play. So we have people from Glassboro, we have people from Paul, we have people from all over. It's also the place you can buy drugs and talk to girls and do everything else you need to do. So now, that was the spot. Because I come from a very, very congested area in Atlanta City. So the, the rule was is that if you didn't have any game, I would say, because, you know, Rob Talley and, and Willie Glass was the guys back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and even before then, I remember they were telling me stories about Pennsylvania Avenue when you had Will Chamberlain coming down for the summer mm-hmm. Um, so you really had to be a ball player in order to go on the court. Mm-hmm. If not, then you're going to win on the side. Yeah, like, yeah. That's exactly what happened with us. Like, you, okay. you better not lose either because you're going to be you're sitting there for a long mm-hmm. day. But um, go ahead, Mom. Continue. Sorry. So anyway, um, when I went away to college and um, had the twins and came back and settled in at my mom's while our house was being built on Jackson Avenue, um, the same old people were there, the Swansons, the Hardens, uh, the Simmons, you mm-hmm. know, and they were still giving our kids the same love and attention as they gave myself when mm-hmm. I was growing up. Now, love can be interpreted in different ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's because, stop there for a second, because I want to understand why, how did that become that way? Like, was it out of a necessity or was it just this what communities did back then? Because you don't see that nowadays. One of the things I struggle with now is that my, my kids don't have a community. They don't have that Miss mm-hmm. Rose Carter, you know, Swanson, and they don't have that village. They don't have it. You know what I mean? So what, what created that atmosphere? A lot of it was faith-based because we knew each other from going to church mm-hmm. and doing church and, mm-hmm. church's functions and things like that. But um, Mrs. Harden was a teacher. I had her. My brother had her. According to my brother, she flunked him, mm-hmm. you know, so. <laughs> he deserved it. it just, <laughs> you know, and then what, we had at least three relatives that lived in the area. Mm. So you just couldn't escape it, mm. you know. I mean, Demiso couldn't run away from home because somebody in the next house. I'll see going down the street. <laughs> <laughs> On the phone. Where are you going? <laughs> listen, I tried, too. Oh, I'm going to listen. I'm going to tell this story because my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember one time I was like, I'm out. I'm leaving. I'm done. My mom was like, you can go. She was like, you better take only thing you can take with you what you bought. <laughs> I got to thinking. I was like, I was like it's cold outside. <laughs> no, I'm going to sit no, right no, I'm going to sit down right now. <laughs> uh-uh, but so then we ended up getting a dog, mm. Bruce. Mm-hmm. And um, Bruce would tell one of them. Mm. Wait a minute, you can talk to the dog? Oh, yeah. Bruce was talking dog. Mother's a superhero. <laughs> I would come home from working at Columbia Records, and my mom would say, I would say, where are the boys? She said, Sony I don't know. Chains from Columbia, and then went to Sony. They worked in the same, same place. Same place. I'm wondering if they can give me a record deal. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe way back when. <laughs> but not now. We're going to talk about that in a second, but go ahead. <laughs> 
Are there statutes of limitations on... No, I'm not going to throw y'all all the way under the bus, but, but anyway. these records mysteriously got in our house with no labels on it. I don't know how they got there. <laughs> Secret demo that that's supposed to be yeah, yeah. The B-sides? Yeah. But anyway, um, my mom would say, I don't know, go find Bruce and you'll find the boys. And sure enough, Bruce was not far from mm. where they were. We trained that dog right. Because me and my grandmother used to have this argument all the time. I'm not wearing a jacket. Wear a jacket. So I would take my jacket and head it, put it down at the end of the dirt road, and Bruce would bring it back to the yard. That's how I got caught. <laughs> Bruce would bring it. <laughs> he was the original snitch. <laughs> Mom, he doesn't have his jacket on. Yeah. Well, he left his books at the bookstop. Here come yeah. the library books all chewed up. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Here we go. Mm. Yeah. So that that neighborhood was was really interesting and 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 special. Um, it has it? I can only go by obviously what I know, and I know that when I was growing up, at one end of the street we had um, people selling drugs, and the other end of the street we had prostitution going on, and everything else in between. Was it always like that? Or did you see a transition? Um, well, back when time? I was being uh, when I was younger and and, and they, being raised. Um, a lot of stuff that went on was seen and not heard, hmm. so they didn't speak about it. As I got older, I understood a lot more, but hmm. I still couldn't ask or speak about it. Hmm. Um, we had two speakeasies on Stanger Avenue. Hmm. I didn't know what the heck a speakeasy hmm. was. I'm still not sure, but I know the I'll people. <laughs> All I knew was you could get alcohol and cigarettes there on Sunday when that was taboo back in the day. And and the numbers. Oh, the num <laughs> the number runner was my best friend because he would buy me ice cream. Uh, yeah, and I didn't realize that until I was older as well. And you that was didn't tell me numbers. you ain't know he was running numbers and he buying you ice cream for no reason. Well, I was like giving him money and, and to a play piece of paper from. <laughs> With some numbers on it. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, too yeah. funny. Um, let's stay back in the day. Let's talk about the music because the book is called Life Music. Um, so what was what was the music you guys were listening to back then? I have a question. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Go. Being so that I'm from Atlanta City, have you guys ever come down to Club Hall? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Who'd you go see? Oh, yeah. I remember. Oh. A long time. Used to go to Latin Casino too. Latin casino was not it's Cherry Hill. It's not I thought you said I used to go to the casino. That's what it's Oh, I did that too. We're gonna get to that too, because I got some questions about the whip and all this other stuff that y'all used to talk about. We can get to that in a minute, but I don't know. I don't know what that is. So the music back then, what was Oh, I have to go for Osley Brothers, James Brown. Earth, Wind, and Fire, Earth, Wind, anything, Motown. Um, um, Jeffrey Osborne, mm -hmm. uh, Bobby Humphrey, this is getting a little bit deep, the mm. jazz, fusion, it's always Santana. Mm. We were really? so saturated Santana. with music. We had all kinds, yes. Working at Columbia Records that I, I ended up liking music that I didn't realize existed, mm. you know? Mm. I, I'm confused. You, you guys keep telling me that you work for a record label. Where is this Columbia Records in Jersey? Oh, they shut, down. They shut it down. Okay. There was one it's in Jersey? not a record label as you think it is. Okay. It was it a was. factory. It okay. was a factory. We really? manufactured the 45s, the LPs, 
later on the um, cassettes. Okay, what about eight tracks? Eight, eight, eight tracks. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> eight tracks. Yes. Seven. Yes. Um, after I left, yeah, it became something. CD, and then DVD, it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But where was this place? It was up and here somewhere? Pittman. 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 Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yep. Wow. I never the that. building is still there, but empty, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. They, they just uh, warehousing. They do a little warehousing in the back. And mm. we did some warehousing in our plant as well. So you guys um, really were making music. Literally. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. You never made CDs. Yeah, I was going mm. CDs. CDs and PlayStation. So, PlayStation games. So can you talk about this PlayStation 5? <laughs> <laughs> so the moment I fell in love with music is actually came from, I remember you used to clean the house. Oh, and you used to just blast Motown. Turn and guess what I do with my kids? What do we do today? Turn it up. <laughs> we was blasting that music in there. That's where I got it from. But I just used to sit there and remember and just listen to that that Motown sound and that sound. And it was just like, it actually made cleaning fun <laughs> for us. And then we played a game, named that tune, and I used to get all upset. He would get upset cheap. because you drop the needle and let it play for and turn the volume down and it's name that tune. Name the tune. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, so I would say the song lyric and not the name of the title. Uh, she's a very freaky girl. <laughs> no, that's not the name of the song. I was six, oh, by the way, singing this. Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Rick. <laughs> I'll say this. If he came to my school right now and he was talking about the freaky girl, listen, we got to call him. <laughs> I'm getting in trouble. Absolutely. I am getting in trouble. Um, so the, I don't know, the ad for me was just a special place just in terms of, you know, everyone that was around and just the music and the whole scene. And, and I tell people all the time, I try to describe it. I said, take what you picture the city would be, you know, and, and put it and stretch the houses out. Cause that's basically what, what we had, um, during that time. It was only maybe a mile by a mile. It wasn't like it was this big neighborhood, but the thing that, kept us together is that you know everybody was on the same page and everybody was doing the exact same thing and, and was holding each other down and that made it so good too because <clears throat> expectations from you know from each one of the kids that mm. was hanging out my house mm. were basically the same no matter what was happening in their background mm. the expectations were all the same mm. and mm. even today you can kind of each one of them mm. have, have done their thing and they've done it very well mm. i tell you what did it too was that we didn't want to let you guys down. And not only, like, didn't want to let my mother down, but I didn't want to let Miss Pose down. I didn't want to let Miss Swanson down. I wouldn't let the community down. And I didn't want to let the team down. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So no matter what we did, it was just like, yo, you have to hold your weight mm-hmm. and you got to do what you got to do and we'll support it. But it was, I think that's the importance of that village. It's just like, now you don't have just one person telling you, you know, because if that person, something, God forbid, happens to them, yes. then you... You on your own. So I knew that if my mother didn't have the answer, I could go to you. You got the answer. But at the same time, I know if I didn't come home with A's and B's, mm-hmm. I'm hearing it from you. I'm hearing it from you. I'm hearing it from everybody. So it, it's just so not like that um, today. Oh, you would be in so much trouble with Periscope. Oh, uh, uh, back then, we had no way of knowing what you did or didn't do mm. to complete a class. Hmm. Other than going to counts, uh, parent counts, uh, teacher conferences. conferences. Yeah. However, now click of the mouse, we hmm. find hmm. out. Oh, hmm. skip class. Oh, 
Forgot mm. that homework. Oh, didn't turn in that homework mm. to your first grade teacher. Mm. Stand on the wall. Mm. Oh, no. that whole. <laughs> but even even so bad that like Miss Hattie drove the bus. I couldn't even act up on the bus because she was in the neighborhood. Like you could not do anything. Like from the time I left. So my house. All day. All day. <laughs> then my mother had this bright idea to become a teacher in the building that I was schooling. <laughs> so it was like there was nothing. It was it was nothing that you could do. Um, but I respect it and I understand what you guys were trying to do. Um, I want to take it to a place because uh, the next uh, point was talking about just mothers in the neighborhood and, and a lot of us came from single parent homes. Mm-hmm. And I look at Somebody asked me the other day, you know, who was your superhero and super, you know, and, and they were talking about Spider-Man and all of this stuff. And I was like, you know, number one, my mother, mm-hmm. I said, the simple fact that she raised three men by herself is amazing to me. And mm-hmm. and then, you know, especially me and my <laughs> attitude and things and everything and the, <laughs> the mess I put her through. I wish I could apologize, but I, I can't say it enough, the much stress mm-hmm. I went through. But just to see and know that you guys are so strong and the strength that you exhibit exhibited. And I don't even know how we turned out to be great men without the fathers. Like I feel like even as with my own children, if I had a son, I don't have sons, but if I had a son, like I feel like there's lessons that I could teach them as a man, but you guys kind of fulfilled those same roles. Like how did you manage to fill the role of the mother and the father at the same time? All I can say Miso, is that we took one day at a time. Hmm. We, we in my house, we had rules, we had goals every day. My whole thing with my boys, my two boys, was always have a plan. Mm. Look forward, work for that. Mm. If you get knocked down, get back up. Mm. And that's basically as a mother, that's what I did. I came from a mother and a father. You mm. know, my father and my mother was together. You know, until they passed. So it was an example of a mother being strong or whatever, mm. raising kids. It was just that I came from a family that had a background that um, believed, mm. uh, believed in doing right, believed in Christ, first of all, because mm. I was on my knees a lot of times. Mm. We believe that a mm. lot of times, and still is. But the whole idea is to not look at your life as a failure, even though you might fail, mm. but to learn from that and go. Mm. Learn from that and grow mm. and keep going. And most of the time, I didn't even think about it, to be honest with you. Just did what I had to do. Mm. Mm. Pretty much we just dealt with it day to day mm-hmm. and like Linda, I had a two parent household until my father died when I was a senior in high school, but we were the eyes of the inheritors mm-hmm. of Stanger Ave. Mm-hmm. I mean we went on vacation. We uh, we did things that they were bougie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's all okay. <laughs> it's all right. I didn't understand that there was another side to um, living any other way than mm. being raised with a mother and a father until my father died. And then um, and then it was just my mother who was not necessarily capable of running a household, as I would think, because my dad was the patriarch and, and he took care of everything. Mm. Um, but one of the things that I, I often talked about with other people was that I used my brother, Demiso's uncle, as an example of how not to be mm-hmm. when you get older. Yes. This is what I don't want you to do. I don't mm-hmm. care what else you do in life. Mm-hmm. Don't end up being like this. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And the same way with um my ex husband Warren. Don't do this to your kids. Mm-hmm. You know? 
So these are two prime negative examples that, you know, I kept saying, oh, do you want to really be like that? Mm. But you, you can use them for the good. And, you mm-hmm. the good. Mm-hmm. and that's what I, when I give my speeches and everything, Mr. King, you heard me do my one speech, but that, that's the, the essence of, of what I talk about is that um, I actually, in, in the book, and I talked to my father, I said, I actually thank you for not being a part of my yeah, life. And I said, because, yes. and, you know, he thought it was, you know, me thanking him for the apology part, but you weren't there, but your absence taught me how to be a father. Yeah, exactly. So, and, you know, I look at my uncle and I said, you know, you don't have an education. I said, that must be the key. You know, yeah. So that lesson that you taught, you may, even though I may have not showed it because I was doing whatever, it resonated and stuck in my yeah, head. Yeah, and it was yeah. just like, all right, so not only that, but the other side of that is when it's time for me to get married, you guys are the examples that I wanted my, my wife to be like. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, you know, it, it, for the simple fact that it's, say if I screwed up, my I know my kids are going to be right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know they're going to be okay. So when I look at my wife, Rebecca, there's a little bit of, I see a little bit of all y'all in her, um, which is one of the reasons I gravitated to her and continue to. Um, but that, in the empowerment perspective, is about looking at life you know, the downs of life and flipping it and using it as a source of motivation and the reason why I succeeded and not the reason why I failed. Because yeah. it's really easy for me to be like, you know what, this happened to me, this happened to me, I'm supposed to be, right, right. And especially being a young black male in today's society, I'm supposed to be dead in jail. And I, that okay, I can write that. Everyone did that. That's easy. So I need to flip it around and, and do it. But that's the lesson that you guys um, taught and continue to teach um, for us. So I'll start with you. Um, um, the moment that you have two twin boys, and then here I come, <laughs> third child. Okay, first of all, you misquoted me in the book. Why? Well, how so? You've never heard me say a curse word in my life. <laughs> <laughs> what curse word was that? That's not really a curse word. D. That's called. A. M. Is what I said. That's D-M-M. all I said. That's all you said. So where did my name come from? Let's start there. Uh, when I did my student teaching in Elizabeth, New Jersey, I had a student named Demisa. Was he Dominican by any chance? Yes, he was. That's, that's funny because I put that in the book, too, because I was yeah. in the DR and I heard some kids saying, Dummy. So I was like, it must be Dominican. Me and my wife were sitting on the beach and we looked at each other and was like, yeah, it was Dominican. I was like, that's funny because people ask me all the time where it comes from. I'm like, I don't know. And that's where the story came from was. My mother thought it was a girl because you used to tell me all the time, I want a girl, I want a girl. And then here I come, and he was like, damn. <laughs> well, that's not how you read it in the book. <laughs> I don't have kids. I'm not too sure that's how you're supposed to introduce the child to the world. <laughs> well, okay. First of all, I had all three sons naturally. I can say whatever I wanted to say. Is it an epidural that people get? Uh, that no, I did not, not back in the day. There was no epidural? Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Ripple. Boom sorry. Some tussin. Brought some tussin. Fix everything. Y'all had boom sorry back then? Oh, yeah. Boom sorry. What about Mad Dog? Mad Dog. Naughty head. That was good. So you now you find out that you have three boys. What was going through your brain? Because you always tell me you wanted a girl. I did. So, but I have six granddaughters now. So I'm having my girls 
vicariously through the So I got cursed, is what you basically uh, say. Um, Wayne and I talked about that a little while ago. Pretty much, pretty much. And your dad wanted to try one more time, and I said, no, three strikes, you're out. And he said, well, you've only been up the bat twice. And I said, let you tell him. <laughs> <laughs> uh-uh. That's um, crazy. It took four and a half years before I decided that it was time to try again. And I don't think now. Um, did you want any girls at any time or you was just no I'm more of a tomboy always mm-hmm. been a tomboy as a female mm-hmm. growing up played sports always played on the boys team I mm-hmm. got picked by the boys mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know I was good at my sports but uh, no I didn't want girls mm-hmm. I wanted four boys I I'm- got two I take pleasure in the fact that Jay's cursed too. So he's got girls. So. <laughs> we can say both. That's, that is crazy. Um, we touched on this next one in a little bit, but walk us through uh, the racial elements during those times. I know the 60s, 70s were, you know, uh, a, a rough time in a sense um, in terms of race relations. So, What's going on? What's going on? That song pretty much solidified everything that was going on. So in terms of, I know schooling, you already said it was segregated, but did it, were you a part of it when it desegregated and you, were you in school when you I was in those? fourth grade. And so what was that, that like? Um, we never talked about this. But. No. Um, I got to ride the big yellow bus, which I never had to do before because being on Ave, we walked to school. We didn't have to be bused. Um, so that seeing that big yellow bus show up at one stop for the whole neighborhood, mm-hmm. they weren't doing door to door for us. Uh, and there were all black people on the bus, so they ride right on by you. Mm-hmm. He wasn't there, yep, yep. If you were on your way there, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. oh, Miss Hattie wouldn't wait for you either. Miss <laughs> 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 Hattie didn't play. <laughs> She would pull the bus over, but she ain't pulling it over for that reason. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so when we got on the bus and we were all very nervous and my dad had already um, talked to me about how did I feel? Did I look feel different than any other kid? You know, to try to get me prepared mentally for um, the school that I was starting in. I had my first male teacher. I had my first white male teacher in fourth grade. Um we were divided alphabetically, so that meant that, of course, I would have some Caucasian people in my classroom. Um, but the transition was nervous for both the white students and the black students. Mm. Because on the other side of Elk Township, they would bust the black students over to Stanger Avenue. So they didn't have any interaction with the students at Aura either. So just uh, imagine the white children feeling apprehensive, like, ooh, who are they? Who mm-hmm. are they? You know, and I don't know what their parents have told them. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if you mentioned this in a bus in the book or not, but um, we were not the typical black family, as Misha said, we were bougie. But my my mom and dad were Republicans, and that mm-hmm. was unheard of. Black Republicans, mm-hmm. unheard of. Did you vote for Trump? We ain't gonna get there. Right. <laughs> I'm just, just messing with you. Go ahead. Do we need to discuss him today? Yeah, we're gonna do politics another time. Because yeah. I know somebody you voted for that we need to discuss politics another time. Go ahead. She praying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, all in all, the white teachers weren't um, 
receptive, but the students were. And that's what I like about kids mm. because kids don't see the color mm-hmm. thing. They don't see the differences. Mm-hmm. Um, but the adults did, mm. and they treated us differently. Mm. They absolutely did. That's what I wrote in the book, too. We dealt with people based upon situations. It didn't matter what color you were or whatever. If you didn't have much money and you came, you had a father in the house, like we just related to, or you played sports, same sports, we kind of related to each other. It wasn't until I got much, oh, well, the one incident at the beach kind of set my mind in a different place, but it wasn't much older until I got much older when race became a problem. Like, and it was just because people were telling people should be treating them differently because of the way that they look. It was just ridiculous. And then that, that the adults were messing up these kids perception of how you should be dealing with people. But, um, so you come into the neighborhood. Um, did you experience any of those elements when you when you came in or well really I'm from Glassboro didn't know too much about this side mm. staying at the side <clears throat> as a child uh, my older sister were 11 months apart she went to Ellsworth school in mm. Glassboro and that was the black school mm. in Glassboro mm-hmm. uh, I, I had to take a test they were it was in between uh, uh, getting integration having integration mm-hmm. uh, I took a test I passed the test I ended up at college at Glassboro State College. And I went to Bozarth Elementary School, mm. all white kids, mm. because I passed the test. Because mm. they were getting, I guess, New Jersey ready for that integration. Mm. So my older sister went to the all-black school. I passed the test, and I'm 11 months behind her, and I went to the all-white school. Mm. I didn't see anything different. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was there. But... Uh, my, my thing even now is education. Mm. I'm so focused. I can be so focused on something. Mm. Uh, I didn't, I don't have any experience in segregation mm. in that type of way. Mm. Uh, yeah, people called your names or whatever. You know, you punched something right. and you went on about your It kept it moving. Yeah, it kept it moving. Mm. But no, I can't really say that uh, I had, had experience as a child coming up. And when I moved into this neighborhood, it was a black neighborhood. Mm. So I was good. Mm. So all of us, were deep into sports. Like, what were you hoping that we got out of sports and and an education? Number one, mm. education. Use what you have to mm. get what you want. Mm. And if you turned into a pro athlete, that was just a cherry on the top. Yeah. But my number one thing was get the education. Mm. You're using the sports to mm. get the education. Mm. Now, if the sports take you higher, so be it. Mm. So let's go to the point where your sons are in high school. You got these college coaches knocking at the door. Tearing down the door. Tearing down the door. And for the parents that listen, I mean, me and Kareem, we talk about this all the time, and we try to get our middle school students to understand and parents to understand the process. Mm-hmm. It's just take us through that process from a parent's perspective back then when, you know, these coaches were coming and the ridiculous stuff that they were promising and saying. And just what were you thinking and hoping during that process? Um, well, first of all, I was excited. I was proud. Mm. But I had to keep perspective. Mm. Because I, I'm not going to name the coach, but one famous coach, everybody knows him. Oh, he wanted me so bad, so mm. bad. And when they all, they, he came to the house like they all did, came to the house and they laid down their plan and that type of thing. But this one coach, uh, I had my questions written down, what I wanted to ask them. Mm. This is my job. Mm. I need some answers. Mm-hmm. So I asked him a question, and he kept saying, oh, you have to talk to the academic advisor about that. Now, mind you, that he didn't bring the academic mm-hmm. advisor. Some of them did. Mm-hmm. But this particular coach, named coach, unnamed coach, did not. Mm-hmm. Every question I had on my paper, he couldn't answer. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. And, and it sticks in my mind because it's sad because even in with him telling me what he was going to do, it wasn't relating to the man he was going to make my child. Mm. Mm -hmm. It was more or less basketball. He even drew plays on a piece of paper. Mm. What your son could do. You're here because he can play. play. We know he can play. I don't need to talk <laughs> right, about that. right. I'm worried about his education. What kind of education can you offer him? Mm. So he um, didn't go to that school. So I'm curious. How did you know which questions to ask and which ones not to ask? Like, how did well, you? Well, I asked him everything. I just I wanted to know as far as uh, if he needed help. Would it? What is the program? They travel. Mm -hmm. It's a lot on those athletes mm -hmm. to travel mm -hmm. and have stay on top of their schoolwork. Mm -hmm. So I was more interested in that fact because mm -hmm. I mean they're flying here, flying there, whatever. And I, I was concerned about the education. How are they getting the education? Mm -hmm. The head coach could not answer any of those questions. Mm -hmm. And I found that really to be strange. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, he's a basketball coach, but bring the athletic, uh, not the athletic, the academic, academic advisor, somebody with you. Mm. Oh, I listen to you talk about basketball, but is that all we're talking about? Mm. Mm. That wasn't good for me. So, you, go ahead, I'm saying. So, so was it one of his high school coaches? Was it one of his um, community coaches that helped you along with this process on how uh, to Mr. handle yourself? Mr. Browns came in and he came and visited. Uh, well, we had so many coaches come, college coaches come to the house. Mr. Brown. He was Mr. a head Brown, basketball coach, okay. high school right. basketball. High school basketball okay. coach. He, he was fantastic. Okay. Uh, he would come in, he'd sit in, he had this question too. And with this one particular coach, because the rest of them really brought somebody with them that answer. Mm -hmm. So, but this particular one, even Mr. Brown said that at the end. That was a good Basically, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you know, he knew I wasn't happy with mm -hmm. the conversation. Oh, it's fantastic having this big name coach at mm -hmm. my house sitting at my table. Right. You know, that right. type of thing. And it was fantastic having him there. Right. Right. But I was, I'm a mother. Right. Mm -hmm. My child comes first. Mm -hmm. So, Mom, you were in a little different boat because you had twins going through it at the same time. Mm -hmm. Now, walk us through that process because they both had different interests. They had both different schools coming at them. And I know that there was some sibling rivalry going on oh, there as boy, well. There. So, yeah, but, <laughs> walk us through that process for you. Hmm. How do I approach it? I guess approach it from the angle of what were you expecting, hoping to get out of the decision that they made? First of all, um, with all three of you, I was going to let the last decision be your decision mm. um, or your decision to be the last decision. The twins wanted to go to Oklahoma and Nebraska. So, you know, you, and it's all about sports. <laughs> you look confused. I am confused. <laughs> I don't know anybody, even today, that wants to go to Oklahoma or Nebraska. So, so I, I know they were really popular back then. Yeah, yeah. But meanwhile, back at the bridge, Hawaii, I would say, okay, if you get homesick, how you going to get home? Yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, you can't come home on the, on the breaks. Mm. I don't have that kind of money. Mm. You know, you get out there, you better buy your stuff when you're out there and Stay Same there until you, yeah, until you graduate. So they started reeling their way back, reeling their way back, reeling mm. their way back. Um, yes, there was um, competition. Rashawn could care less whether he played sports or not. Mm. And he excelled at it. And he excelled mm. academically, almost effortless. And, of course, Jamil had to work at it. Jamil loves playing sports. And I almost wish the two had been reversed, but it didn't work out that way. 
Uh, Jamil played sports for four years for Westchester. Uh, really good school, too. Mm-hmm. I like Westchester. Yeah, I, 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 I like to drive. Um, <laughs> Rashawn played one year at the University of Penn because mm-hmm. they recruited him, offered him scholarships, which worked out financially good for me because then I only had to concentrate on helping Jamil with his Mm-hmm. financial needs as opposed to Rashawn. I think I only paid like $500 out of my pocket for Rashawn to go pen for four years. Four years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, getting on that point about um, Rashawn, his high school coach, who will remain nameless, and I won't even say the sport, <laughs> Rashawn was getting these letters. Jamil were getting, was getting letters too. But Mr. Isles would make sure that Jamil would see his letters. Mm. Rashawn never saw any letters. Mm. And then his high school coach would say, you don't really want to go to the Ivy League school, do you? Uh-huh. Yeah. This is, this is, this is, a, this is a coach teacher who taught when I was in high school. So I knew his mindset right then okay. that it, was going, it wasn't going to be good. Okay. You know? Um, I don't want you to dig too deep because we're gonna get into that in a documentary. We're gonna, mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's there's gonna be a lot of truths that are untold truths that are gonna be out there from our perspective because they, you know, we experience those things of not getting letters or saying that you're not good enough to do this X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that's coming. I'm gonna just cut you out off a little bit from going deep there. So I'm gonna let that out the, the bag yet. <laughs> but the way that Rashawn got recruited was uh, by the University of Penn and the other Ivies was because of a coach, uh, Buster Catholic, okay. a white coach, and he told the Penn coach, "Look, you gotta look at this guy from Delsey. He's really good." Blah blah blah. So that coach approached the Penn yeah. coach, mm-hmm. and the Penn coach approached. Us. Hmm. So for all the parents out there, you got kids that are playing. You need to tell your your son or daughter that you never know who's watching. Here's a coach against the, you know my brother played against the team, mm-hmm. and the coach was like, "You need to recruit that guy." Wow. So that you know instead of a, was a <laughs> we ain't got to go there. <laughs> we ain't got to go there. We ain't got to go there. So this is. Well, I, I find it to be amazing that you guys knew exactly how to handle yourself because when the coaches were calling my house, my parents didn't know what to do. So I tell everybody, my dad only had an eighth grade education. My mom graduated high school, had some junior college experience, but they didn't know what to do. And this recruiting process is is very. It can become very overwhelming for a parent that mm-hmm. don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have coaches that's going to guide them along the way, which questions to ask, which mm-hmm. questions not to ask. How many visitations they can have? When is it okay to talk to a coach? Can my son talk to a coach? Mm-hmm. So now what happens that take a huge, huge. Um, that takes a lot on a on a player who who don't even know right now if he's getting recruited. Mm-hmm. So even during the recruiting process, and my dad didn't tell me this until years later that there were plenty of coaches that were calling the house, but he didn't want to tell me. Oh, mm-hmm. so now what happens is that I'm playing baseball. And I'm like, man, I'm putting up tremendous numbers that nobody wants me. Mm-hmm. Nobody's taking mm-hmm. a look at me. I okay. think Go ahead, one of the biggest things that I got, at least from listening to them, is that they knew what they wanted uh, their sons to, to go through, you know, yes. what type of program in terms of them being a man. And it had nothing to do with, you know, the sport, sport itself. itself. 
So they were grounded in that. And then they already probably, you probably already had that since they were babies. Like, mm-hmm. this is what my expectations are. And if you ain't meeting these expectations, mm-hmm. a lot of these parents don't have that. Mm-hmm. Today's parents, they don't even know what they want out of their, you know, for their kids. So when yes. they get these college coaches coming, they don't know the questions to ask them because mm-hmm. they don't have that. And we'll get to value systems in a minute, but they don't have that vision of what this is what my kid is supposed yes. to be doing. So um, that's a big piece of it, too. So. Know what you want from your out of your kids' college experience, even though it's their decision at the end of the day. But you, you're you're still the parent. You got to guide them in in, in a direction that's yeah. going to be beneficial to them. Because um, like you said Demetrius probably could have went anywhere in the world. You know what I mean? But you have to and Jay, you have to make sure that it's right for them. And you and it goes back to our podcast before knowing your child Absolutely. and knowing them. You know what I mean? You. I'm sure you, you can talk about this with me. You can't put me on just any college campus because I just I the type of personality that I have. <laughs> you can't just put me on any college campus. <laughs> so um, you did a great job in, in staring, making us feel like we had the, the final decision and some choice in the matter. But I know behind the scenes, it was like these are the schools that you probably need to go to because <laughs> you can't handle you can't handle that um i do want to touch on um addiction because it is a big part of the book and is a big part of the stuff that was going on in our family um especially with the uncle and things um as a and with my father and i'm talk specifically if i'm going too deep you can cut me off and say we ain't gonna talk about that but um the situation with my dad and him being addicted, like how were you handling that and processing that during that time? I would try to be just the opposite. Um, he smoked, he drank, he smoked cigarettes. I did none of those things until after he um, left the second time. Mm. But while we were together, it was like I needed to be that person to balance things out, mm. you know. Just like I said, I never said a curse word, Misa. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'm not buying it. <laughs> I'm not buying that. I'm, I'm sure I heard you say a couple of them. Oh, uh, no. Specifically that one, but could Wasn't that on Good Times? Yes. Yeah, that's where you get That's it. where Good Times got it from. <laughs> you, you, you dropped the plate like, damn, damn. <laughs> Why every black family know that? <laughs> that scene. Know. I, don't know. I don't know why we even refer back to lines in the movies and on shows. We will get to that part in a second too. We gonna have some fun here. But no, for, for the most part, um, that's that's how I dealt with it. Mm. You know, I I tried to be the balance. Mm. I got you. Makes sense to me, Mr. K. I'm gonna bring you in here now because we're now at the point, I guess, of the story where, um, for me, sports was an outlet. So I used all my pent up frustrations and animosity and I kind of just put it on the court and as best I could. But the lesson that you taught me and I remember to this day that you pulled me to the side, a couple of them, but the one was that you was like, you need to play the game like no one can beat you. And my defensive mentality was that no one's going to get past me. And then you told me that and you kept drilling that in my head like this guy is not better than you and, and you need to go out there and beat them. So that mentality and that philosophy I carry with me throughout my life is that, you know, you're not going to beat me and I'm going to either outwork you or I'm going to die trying. But that lesson that you, you taught uh, at that time, it was it was more than basketball. So even though that you had no idea what was going on, those little seeds that you were dropping was 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 
adding fuel to my fire and passion. Um, and then you became one of those people that I didn't want to let that on the court and off the court. So as I said it um, to, to the mothers here, but you were also that. Um, the other piece was, and, I, and the piece that I was trying to get my educators to understand was you were one of the very few people, and I think we had this discussion, um, that was willing to meet me outside of your comfort zone outside of your box. And by that, by that, I mean, and we talked about, um, at the end of practice, you would, you know, keep the gym open and you want to try. I was going to stay. Right. So I'm sitting there, I'm talking, trying to dunk and trying to dunk and trying to dunk and coaches like get ready, turn the lights out. And Mr. King was like, no, keep, keep going. And, and, and until you got it. Um, and, and the point where I was in a light in my life and I'll just be an open book here. Like I didn't trust a lot of white people at that particular time. And then it stemmed from that incident in the beach and then me trying to find myself. But then I was like, if I'm here's a person that's willing to step outside of what I think, you know, your comfort zone and not trying to put me in its box and was willing to meet me out there. And, and this, it created such a situation. I was willing to go through a brick wall for you. And I don't think a lot of teachers do that. So I kind of used that story in the beginning of the school year um, that they try to get my teachers to understand that you don't know what, these kids are going through. So I put this picture up and Kareem was there and put this picture up of myself in the yearbook and I had a book bag on. And I remember a teacher asking me, you know, what, what was in that book bag? And I lied. I said it was books and stuff, but I had in there was actually clothes and I would carry clothes and shoes all the time. Cause I didn't know if I had to run at night and I, mm-hmm. I would sleep with my shoes on because I didn't know if I had to run at night. So, um, but the interest that you played in, in, in my life kind of took me outside and said, it's okay for me to, to be outside here and then do those things. So those lessons that you gave me were, was, was so powerful and influential and you didn't probably had no idea. So, um, talk about, um, your impressions of the kids from Stanger Avenue. I mean, they were all respectful. They all wanted to be coached. They, uh, the ones that I had in math class, they all wanted to learn. Uh, I wish I would, I told you before, I wish I would have had you in that class. Um, uh, I shouldn't be using the I again, but I thought I was a better teacher than a coach. Hmm. And I, again, I was lucky enough to have the twins and Jay and me. And uh, I, I tried to give the same message hmm. that, um, you know, just try, try, hmm. try, try. Um if I were teaching in your school now, you would probably be mad at me because I always had the policy that you were allowed to retest. If you failed, that's okay. Mm. You come back and you keep testing until you can pass until it. Until you can get it. Yeah. And, you know, then, you know, the administrators and fellow teachers would say, well, you're going to get played. Well, so what? Mm. You know, so what? You get played a couple of times. Mm. You know, I'd rather the message of persistence. Persistence, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Stanger Avenue, those, uh, you know, you talk the Swansons and the Simmonses and the Poles and the Josies, and, oh, you know, they just, uh, they treat me like I'm somebody, the respect. Uh, mm-hmm. They treat me. Mm-hmm. You deserve well, it. Uh, mm-hmm. um, no, but no, they treat me like I'm family. They, mm-hmm. they just... Whatever treat me nice. That's the thing about the way we grew up. Once you were in, you were in. Like once you were in that circle, you were in the circle. You were part of the family. Like we were very guarded and protective of it. So it was just that it 
if those that were willing to be in the family were in the family and you were one of those people that were willing to be in the family. Yeah. Um, and you can see that when Damon oh, left here, it was like, you know, he didn't, I ain't tell him you were coming. Oh, so he was just like, yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you will get that reaction. And I should have said Barney and Fame. Yeah. All of them. All of those things. And just so, just, I just want to say it right now, Mr. King. I've known you since my kids were in Delcy School. And I want to thank you for everything you've done, too, for my boys. Mm-hmm. Well, you trust I used to drive uh, me to, to meet with you mm-hmm. to help with math. Mm-hmm. Six o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. Mr. King was there. Mm-hmm. And I used to tell he helped my kids. Mm-hmm. And I just want to thank you. Take this moment to thank you for all mm-hmm. your help. Because you're a part of our village, believe it or not. Absolutely. You're a part of our village. This is how a village is. Mm-hmm. But see, that's, that's, in my mind, that's how you should, that's how a teacher should be. You've got kids that are in all kinds of afternoon activities. They shouldn't be put in a position that they have to fight and argue with a coach or a moderator mm-hmm. to get extra help. Mm-hmm. So Mr. McCulley and I, we made it a point. We would get there early. Mm-hmm. So that, if, you know, the kids, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the help was available. We wanted our kids to have everything that a prep school had or a Cherry Hill East mm. kid had. You know, we just wanted our kids to have the best. Now, can I bomb Bickio because I'm very slow memory now. Mm-hmm. Um, you brought up, you both brought up what you can buy for a thousand dollars. Now, the first book that I ever read that moved me socially. I wanted to buy it and give it to you, mm. but it now costs a thousand dollars. I'm sorry. <laughs> Life <laughs> music. Was, uh, <laughs> it was uh, Foul by Connie Hawkins uh, about him growing up in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. in Bed-Stuy. And uh, I read that, I guess, maybe my s- sophomore year of college. And uh, again, uh, I'm the product of a wasp. I will never know. Mm. Uh, I was my mo- my mother though. She uh, single fa- uh, single parent family, and my father uh, was depression, dust bowl, uh, so much. Their houses they never had electricity or running water. Mm. So they taught me certain things, uh, so that even though. I, you know, I was very privileged. I think that they made sure that I had my feet on the ground mm. also. Mm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. So check out Val. Uh, he's looking uh, it Tommy up. Hawkins, Hawkins. Hawkins. I think I mean Wolf is the guy that wrote, David Wolf? wrote, yes. wrote it. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want to move into the next part of this, and we kind of it kind of sums everything up. And I feel like we were talking about creating a value system. And I believe that, you know, what we find important drives our behaviors. And, you know, and, and I try to drive this with my kids at school all the time. But I feel like with you guys, the most important thing that you gave us all was a, a, have a value system and, and, and find something that's important. Whether that value system is hard work and never giving up, whether that value system is, is trusting everybody and, 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 and the community and building that community, that value system is important. Um, and what you guys talk to and we kind of talked about a little bit is, is having God at the center of, that, uh, of your value system. Um, but 
really, really branching off and, and using your value systems whenever you, you possibly can in whatever situation that you're in. And I think that was like the most important lesson as, as a young man or as a man now that I've learned from, from the village is, is finding something that's important and putting yourself around people that are going to support and, and, and get you to that next level. Um, and also to have a plan and have a vision of what you want to do and attack that vision relentlessly. Um, and that's what got me through mentally um, through the times, through my rough times is that I had a vision that I was going to be in college, even when my worst times and, you know, my mother put that in me, like you going to school. So I was like, it was no question. <laughs> but so I had that vision and I visioned myself in, in the college dorm room. I visioned myself talking to girls, going to class, everything the college experience was. I had that vision even in my darkest moments, but um, to instill that in your kids is, is so important for them to have that, that dream. And the one thing that you guys did too, that was extremely important is that you didn't deter us from that dream. You didn't say, no, you don't, you need to be a lawyer. You ain't going to be a teacher. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to do that. We didn't hear that. It was like, oh, this is what you want to do. All right, we're going to support it. And this is what we want to make happen. And I think a lot of parents today are falling into trying to live vicariously through their kids. Like, you know, you know you're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be that. Meanwhile, they want to be a teacher or they want to be something else. I um, mean, you guys never did that. And I mean, you know, that was one of the things. Who are you looking at me like that for? You didn't want to go into education. I didn't. So, but but I pushed you toward it. I know. No, but I'm no understand it now. You did push me to it because I believe everyone has a gift, and I think that you saw something in me that was like you need to go into this into this direction. I fought my gift for a long time. That's why I went to ABC, ESPN, and all that stuff, and eventually I ended up back to. And then the day, mother knows best. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. So um, that's 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 extremely important. Um, so the value system is important. So in terms of Let's say parents that are out there now, new parents now, what information or advice would you give them in terms of developing a value system? Like, why is that important? Uh, first of all, what I would say uh, as far as having a value system is to live it. Hmm. You, when, you, when, you're, when you're raising children, you can say what you want to say. Hmm. But it's what they see that really counts. Mm. I mean, it's verbal, it's good. Mm. Preaching. But, uh, mm. you know, the actual living, being, feeling, that's a lot more. It gives a lot more credence to whatever your value system is. Mm. Um, if you want your child to be, um, if the child wants to be whatever they want to be, you go along with it. They might change their mind. I mean, including what the ages are or whatever the case might be. But you build them and you give them that goal. You give them that backing. Mm. You give them that backing. And you make them feel as though that they can. Mm. Even sometimes you might have a little question. Mm. But eventually they'll figure it out. Mm. But that way they know that, first of all, they are valued by mm. their parents. Mm. Because you listen. Mm. You care. You show me that on mm. a daily basis. And it's not all words all the time. Mm. But it's what a child sees that I think creates a lot more. That's so, so important. Because a lot of my work ethic comes from my mother got, went up, got woke up every morning with the work. Every day. It was no question. Sick, whatever. You went to work. So it was just like, this is what we do. Okay, we going to work. That's what we see. And that's what we're going to do. How... I, we watch how you interact with people and how you treat people. That's what we want to do. That's just, that's so, so important is to be able to, to walk it. Like you say, because mm -hmm. they, they are watching for sure. They are watching. Um, mom, value systems, there anything, any advice for these young parents that are out? Well, I agree with Linda and, and, and you as well. Um, communication, mm -hmm. interaction, 
you know, um, I, I think family time is still very important. We get together, holidays and such, but we also get, get together for no apparent reason mm, other than right. to be together. Mm. And we'll sit here and we have the pizza cook-off mm. every Christmas mm. Eve. We establish routines and traditions mm. and I and I think that's meaningful to the family structure as mm. as a whole. We used to every Sunday was the day, barbecue Sunday. That's right. You know what I mean? We get together and just be together and listen to old school music, put on WDAS. And then right. when they start so went off yeah, well yeah, yeah they start going too far with all that. They went way butterball went a little too deep. And I was like, it's time, it's time to go now. You know what I mean? We started with Mary J. Now you oh, wow. fat jelly roll, whatever somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you went too far. It's time to pack up and go home. Um but that's another thing too, and in terms of the, the empowerment perspective of flipping things like we grew up in a house where you ate and did what you had to do going to hurry because you didn't know which way the wind was going to blow okay. so now I was like you know what my family we ain't doing that we want to sit down we going to have dinner electronic devices is off we sit down we talk yes. and, and, and even if it's 15-20 minutes whatever we sit down and talk Jaden yes you gotta eat your broccoli we go through that whole process and everything but um, but that, that family time is so so important and I think that our family even our extended family. You know, the, the cool thing about us is that I may not see Jay or meet for years. And then when we meet, see again, each other again, we pick right. Like it was like it was yesterday. Like I feel like, yo, we was just so, at the end, they playing ball. Like it was like yesterday. Um, Damon, I didn't see him in a while. I came in. It was just, it is what it is. And I think that atmosphere comes from what you guys um, established. So um, as a, I guess, representative of that crew, you know, I would thank you both. For what you guys have done, I can't thank you enough. And what you've created is something special. And you know, you guys what? are fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I have 10 15 guys in my house almost every day. Mm. And uh, even uh, Marvin told me, tell you, he said when he first met me, because mm. y'all was always around, mm. he and I told him I had two kids when I met him. Right? <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to move into have a little bit of fun here uh, on our show. So uh, we're going to go movie-based here. What was the last movie that you saw that got you crying, that got you choked up? Uh-oh. Mm. Hidden Figures. Oh, let's, let's go there. Let's go there. Now, when, when you see the young lady running through the restaurant, they're, they're, mind you, what you <laughs> yes, they did. That's the <laughs> yes, they did. Like, yes, they did. Was <laughs> <laughs> it was in the rain. Yeah. yeah. That was you. Mm. That was me. Did they take that from you? Uh. You still let... I did you in a lot of movies yeah, and TV absolutely. shows. You went from good times to... Probably <laughs> to music, absolutely. Right, right. The interesting thing about that movie I found, I watched it with my daughters finally, and Simone is here. And the interesting thing, the takeaway that they had was um, the disrespect towards women. Wasn't anything about race. It was about women. And I was like, yeah, that, and I didn't even think about that when I was watching it. And I was like, yo, that is some powerful stuff. So what made you cry and hit the figure? Mainly, 
fact that I was unaware of that mm. taking place mm. during my timeline. Mm. I mean, it was the 50s. Yes. I was mm. born in the 50s. The mm. only thing I knew about the space program was Florida, Cape Canaveral. Mm-hmm. Who knew that we, yeah, who knew we had something even closer? Mm. And then all the interactions with the women and and the men and how they treated us and mm. the, the whole dynamic of the movie. But I was I was very moved and impressed um, by how well it was done as well. Miss mm. Carr. You know, I'm thinking that she said hidden figures and I can't get it out of my mind mm. um, because well, I was born 56. So I'm a little young now. You're a young buck. <laughs> but it's just incredible. And I kind of related to the day. It's incredible how people can think that they're better than somebody else or another people just because of the color, the color of their skin. skin. Mm. That drives me crazy. Mm. Mm. It actually drives me crazy that just because of that, mm. they think they're better. Mm. I mean, you got your good and your bad and all kind of people, so I'm not talking about white people. Mm. I'm just talking about overall. overall. And when you look at the hidden figures, that's all it was about, yeah, the skin it. color. Because yeah. they, they can't even say we were stupid because they were smart. Oh, my goodness. Because the women were smart, very intelligent. Mm. So what was the problem? Their skin color. Mm. I'm still mm. trying to wrap my mind around why there's so much over disrespect towards women in general. Um, because you guys have always been the backbone, not only of the homes that you guys have have created, but also the backbone of this nation. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I, I I can't fathom how someone can have a mother that has brought you up and raised you to be a loving person for you to become a grown man and then be disrespectful. disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I can't fathom mm-hmm. that. Well, I mean, it's a it's society that we live in, and the fact that you have to have a winner and a loser, and society's telling you that the man is supposed to be the superior being, and all this other stuff. So when a man feels inadequate, I got to step on somebody else to get to that point, and you, my target, you know, the easiest one in his brain is I'm going to step on these women and disrespect these women so that I can feel like I'm a man and have that. I hate when people say, well, I'm a man. I can't, I can't stand that, that free, that free. It doesn't make any sense to me. So, but how do you come home to your wife after you've said all these things about other people's women mm. and face your wife and say, I'm better than you. Mm. Make me something to eat. I'll be afraid to eat. I'll be afraid to eat. You might find that <laughs> rabbit bullet <laughs> on the stool. <laughs> Mr. King, any movie that got you choked up? I can only remember crying in the movie one time. Mm. And you'll relate to this very well. Do you remember when we were coming up like all the Walt Disney and the Davy Crockett thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. When I was nine years old, I went to see the Alamo with John Wayne. Mm. Now I had seen Walt Disney all along. I didn't know Davy Crockett died mm. in the end. I cried. You was bowling your eyes. I bowled my eyes. Because <laughs> 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 Disney wasn't going to show you. Yeah, that. Wasn't there. <laughs> y'all ain't die. Y'all ain't cry when Cochise died. Yes. Yes. No. Cochise. What movie was that? Cooley High. Cooley High. <laughs> oh, shit. You ain't cry. No. It's so hard. You ain't cry. That's classic. You cried me some. I got a little lump in my throat. I, I got a little lump. I was like, that's messed up. <laughs> that's messed up. That's not what you said, though. 
No, no, you the one that cursed, not me. We established. You're right. I didn't say that. I'm censoring myself right now. Um, music. Who's the top three artists that you got in your playlist right now? Who are you listening to? Earth, Wind, and Fire. Hmm. Reasons. The reasons. Actually, now. Uh-huh. September. Uh, do you I was listening to that coming over here. Hmm. You was jamming, huh? And then, of course, y'all know I love the whisper. Listen, mm-hmm. you know how I feel about that. I got nothing. I have no words for you. Go ahead and say it. Don't, don't. So the story goes this way, right? <laughs> so they on the parkway, they in the Philadelphia, they had these concerts every. So we go out there. My mom is a big whispers fan. I gotta go see my whispers. Go see my whispers. They get on. They jamming. They doing their little two steps, spinning around. The music shuts off, and they was lip syncing the whole entire time. <laughs> I said I lost respect for the whispers. <laughs> lost respect. It wasn't even like wow. you were so obvious that they were lip syncing. I said you know I lost respect for it. So. Oh, that good. So you guys didn't like the Commodores at all? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. The Commodores. You got a personal issue with the Commodores. No, that's what I had to do my homework too. That's what, I come home and you playing the Commodores. I have a project. He's playing the Commodores. So. Mm. My dad loves music, so okay. he loves the Commodores. You didn't guys didn't mention Al Green either. Oh, I would think that you I think that you get a little angry cooking breakfast. And just, <laughs> you ever think about throwing hot grits on something? Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you don't have to answer that question because I know you did. Statue's limitations, so Mr. K, who are you listening to? Um, I'm stuck in the '60s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And I'm Tops and temps. Okay. Yeah, okay. They're my top two. Uh, anything, anything else is would be, a, would be a throwing. Hmm. Uh, no Genesis. Well, you, you asked me about the seventies, and okay. uh, I, to me, that's a blur. I, it's, I see in a history book that it happened, oh, but, mm. but I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. One more thing before we wrap up. We all see the Titanic before, right? You know, oh, you know where I'm going. Yeah. Last scene. Oh yeah. A floating in the water. There's a board, mm-hmm. and the girl's on the board, and the guy's in the water. Mm-hmm. Do you think it was petty of them, or for her, not to share the board with the guy? Like, why didn't both of them just kind of, they both could have survived. They yeah, both could have lived. Could have been a really good ending. Do you think it was petty of her to not share that board? Petty, he's talking to you. No. No, we, we've had this discussion. <laughs> I respect that. She pushed his head down in the water. Like, I'm out. I got the rock on my finger. Stick your lips out the water. Get your air. Go back. That's funny. Oh, we gonna wrap. Give you this blanket. I know you cool. We gonna wrap this up. Um, any last words of advice for uh, mothers out there, or any villages, or anything out there that you can shed some advice on? Because we have a lot of young listeners that are now starting to develop their families and things. So, any advice for mothers that are out there? Far far as raising your children, be honest with them, mm. Mm. Uh, hold them close, and 
Let them know that they're loved. Because mm. you never know what they're going through. Mm. Like, and I'm relating this as a mother to you, mm. Lisa, mm. because, like I said, I never knew you was going through what you were going through. You was just another one of them. Mm. Just hanging out. You know, and uh, and I feel as though, it, I don't know if it would have made any difference if I would have been different mm. to you, mm. if I'd known or not, but you never know. Mm. You never know. Alice, Geraldine. This Alice. Gerald. I'm letting all the names out right now. I'm going to invoke my uh, Amendment. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that here on the show. One. Because the, the rules of life and society don't apply here. Any invites? Like Linda said, you know, show love, communicate, stay in touch, regardless of how old they become, 41. She threw me when they the when 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 you reach out and send a text, just text back. That's all. You know, hmm. you don't have to have a conversation. I mean, Rashawn's in Vegas right now. At least I got a text saying he's in Vegas. Now I don't want to hear that he's in Bangkok or anything. Hmm. You can tell me that when you get back home. <laughs> but um, and whatever you do, don't enable your child. Hmm. Hmm. I, I really think that was part of my mother's problem with my brother. She was an enabler. Hmm. And she just threw money after money. Well, you know. Yeah, I do. Hmm. I didn't put that in the book. That's, that, that's fine. That's, that's, that was and, you know, putting him in rehabs and stuff. And for what reason? What did she? He ran her out of her house. So, you don't be an enabler. Hmm. Hmm. I still see that number in my head now you said that. That's crazy. Mr. King, any advice to anybody? Trust the process educationally. Mm. Um, I think you have to realize that uh, when you talk, especially when you start talking about college, college is not a vocational school. Mm. You don't go to college to come out with a job. Mm. You go to college to get an education. Right. Mm. You have to learn and, and help your children to become creative enough to use that education, mm -hmm. and they'll find their way. Mm. Trust that process. Neat. That's great advice. So I'm going to end it with today's lesson, a new uh, segment. So I just thought about this two seconds ago. Um, today's lesson is I'm going to say life is like a boxing match. And the reason why I'm going to say that I'm going to pull from a different um, podcast is because when you look at a boxing match, you have a, an opponent that's in the ring. Sometimes he's bigger than you. Sometimes he's faster than you, stronger than you. Then you go back to your corner. You got some coaches that are telling you how to, to navigate. And then you had a crowd, hopefully, that's behind you. So when we talk about a village and we talk about life, you, you're really a boxer in that ring. Sometimes you're going to go against opponent. My advice would be that your opponent should be smarter than you and that want to work harder than you. Your job is then to beat them. Um, and I'm stealing that from Frank Spicer from his previous podcast. Is put yourself around people that are smart and that want to work hard and you try to win and try to beat them. But then you go back to your corner. Now your corner is your village. That, that village is telling you, giving you advice on what, how to maneuver in that ring and how to maneuver in life. Um, so you need to use that advice and go back out to that ring. So every three minutes, you need to go back to your village and check your village and then go back into that ring. Um, and then the crowd is this, this the, the reward at the end. Um, and everyone that, you know, the, that's also your, your friends on the outside as well. 
that are cheering you on. Um, their only sole purpose is there to give you some motivation. They may not be able to help you any more than that. So don't expect too much from your crowd, but you're going to get a little bit from it. But every three minutes, you're back in that ring, come back to your village, get your advice, and keep moving. So on behalf of the Empowerment Perspective, um, I'd like to thank everybody that was here. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Everyone got a little bit loose, a little bit, and, and had some fun. Mr. Petty, I'm glad you're here. Uh, Mr. Mr. King, thanks for coming in. And on behalf of Stacy and um, Dr. Iglesias, we thank you guys for being part of it. Don't be strangers. We'd definitely love to have you guys back and talk about some more things um, on the podcast. Uh, make sure you follow us on iTunes and the website, theempowermentperspective.com, Podbean, um, Twitter, Facebook, all the social media outlets. We're just trying to get this out there. Again, we're trying to get to a thousand uh, listeners by the end of this month. Um, so, you know, spread the word and stay empowered.